Chapter 31C of Organic Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Francis Wicks. Organic Evolution by Richard Swan Lull. Part 3 The Evidences of Evolution. Section 3 Paleontology. Chapter 31C Beaked Dinosaurs and Origin of Birds. Origin of Birds. Von Heuwen, in his classification of 1914, derives the birds from the same stock that gave rise to the Ornithesian dinosaurs, and Huxley, years ago, recognized the very close reptilian affinities of the birds by calling them glorified reptiles. Avian Distinctions The principal points of contrast between birds and the Ornithesian dinosaurs of the more generalized type lie not in the character of the pelvis, or of the foot, nor in the presence of ossified tendons along the vertebral column, nor in the presence of teeth, for these are all likenesses, and only a few out of many such. The main distinctions are due almost without exception to the assumption on the part of the bird of aerial life, and hence the birds may be considered simply the volant branch of a group of which the ornithopod dinosaurs were the terrestrial members. As a result of their flying adaptation, birds have the four limbs transformed into wings, and the scales, except for those on the feet, altered into feathers for warmth and to increase the alar extent. The blood becomes warm with an adaptation to maintain it at a given temperature, which may, however, have been true possibly to a limited extent of the dinosaurs. The birds also have developed new manacity of the skeleton for lightness and an extensive system of aerosols throughout the body. Their organs of nutrition are highly developed because of the great expenditure of energy which flight necessitates, and their circulation is very perfect, which again may have been true of dinosaurs, but this we have no means of knowing. The loss of teeth is foreshadowed in the dinosaurs, the dental battery of Stegosaurus being a very inadequate thing, not so efficient in fact as that of the Cretaceous birds, while in Struthiomimus teeth were entirely lacking. Origin of Flight Several hypotheses have been advanced to account for the origin of flight, one group of authorities postulating an antecedent arboreal life, while others would derive flying forms from those of cursorial habits, and yet others, Lucas C. Page 360, believe that birds are diphyletic, the carinator flying birds having an arboreal ancestry, while the ratite or cursorial birds were of terrestrial stock. Cursorial origin of flight has been advocated mainly by the Hungarian paleontologist Francis Baron Nopsha. A discussion of his theory follows. Nopcha does not believe that the flight of bats and pterodactyls, which fly by means of patagia, and birds, which fly by means of feathers, could possibly have arisen in the same way, for the patagium flyer must always adapt both fore and hind limbs and tail to the support of the membrane, whereas in a generalized feathered animal, only the feather-supporting elements need become affected by volant specialization. The development of the posterior limb in such an animal is but little, if at all, affected by the development of flight. The hind limbs of birds are so similar in structure to those of the cursorial dinosaurs, in which, so far as we know, no flying powers were ever developed, that the type of modification which they both represent can only be interpreted in the light of a function possessed by each. The inference is, therefore, that birds arose from bipedal, long-tailed cursorial reptiles, which, during running, oared along in the air by flapping their free anterior extremities. These would, of course, be more effective if their breadth could in some way be increased to give them a greater bearing surface, and the increasing size of the scales along the arm margin would be a ready means to this end. Similar scales might develop along the margins of the tail for the same reason that lateral hairs have developed on the tail of certain bipedal mammals. 
These scales would extend, lighten, and ultimately evolve into feathers, which would not only subserve the function of flight, but acting as clothing, retain and aid in the increase of temperature, which in turn would help to improve both the physical and mental activity of these forms. And this is a sufficient reason for the dominance of the birds over all other aerial rivals, and for their survival after the extinction of their dinosaurian kindred. Arboreal origin of flight is urged by Osborne and others, and only recently a close student of birds, Mr. C. William Beebe, has brought forth a theory of the origin of flight consistent with this belief, which has several novel features. Beebe advances the idea that Archaeopteryx had not yet attained the power of true flight, believing that the forelimbs, as well as the hind, were rigidly extended at right angles to the sides of the body and not flapped. Beebe's theory of the origin of flight in birds is novel and is based upon the presence of a series of sprouting quills, not clothing feathers, found in newly hatched birds running from the outer upper part of the hind leg just below the knee nearly to the base of the tail. These quills are placed just where, if developed, they would form a sort of winglet on either side, which, combined with the tail, would afford excellent support for the hind part of the body. Just such tufts of feathers are known to have occurred in Archaeopteryx, Berlin specimen, and Mr. Beebe concludes that, like the back fins of the flying fish, they serve to support the hinder part of the body as the creatures sail through the air. A most striking bit of evidence is the fact that just as overlapping coverts are found above the secondaries of the bird's wing, and alternately with them, so the bristle-like quills on the thigh of the pigeon are surmounted by a series of quills placed precisely like the wing coverts. Beebe's theory, based upon this evidence, and that offered by Archaeopteryx, is that, quote, somewhere near the lower Jurassic, about seven million years ago, both fore and hind limbs bore feathers, but neither pair of limbs took an active part in aerial locomotion, their function being that of planes, purely passive, unquote. This phase of the development Beebe terms the tetrateryx, or four-wing stage, see figure 169. At this stage, to quote from Beebe, quote, Flight was merely gliding, the fingers were too free, the arm bones too delicate, the sternum small or absent, and these facts considered in connection with the small, weak pelvis make it impossible to picture the creature flying skillfully about. In succeeding generations, the pelvic wings would become more and more reduced. Having arisen from among the surrounding scales, they had for a time volplane through the air of early ages, a structure passive, and as future centuries would show, of merely transitory function. Yet they were of tremendous importance in allowing the pectoral scales to develop, to become feathers, and then to assume an importance which was to make the class of birds supreme in the air. Millions of years after they were of use, the feathers of the pelvic wing are still reproduced in embryo and nestling. And for some unknown reason, nature makes each squab pass through this tetrateric stage. The line of feathers along the leg of the young bird reproduces in this diminutive, useless way the glory that once was theirs. No fossil bird of the ages prior to Archaeopteryx may come to light, but the memory of Tetrateryx lingers in every dovequote. Unquote. Lucas. Gregory's Theory. Dr. W.K. Gregory, after weighing the hypothesis advanced above, presents a compromise theory. He says, quote, The pro-Aves were surely quick runners, both on the ground and in the trees, but it is not yet clear whether the upright position was first attained upon the ground or in the trees. They very early acquired the habit of perching upright on the branches, as shown by the consolidated instep bones, grasping first digit, and strong claws of Archaeopteryx, see plate 14. Their slender arms ended in three long fingers provided with large claws which were at first doubtless used in climbing. Quote, 
These active pro-Aves contrasted widely in habits with their sluggish remote reptilian forebears. In pursuit of their prey, they jumped lightly from branch to branch and finally from tree to tree, partly sustained by the folds of skin on their arms and legs, and later by the long scale feathers of the pectoral and pelvic wings and tail. That they held the arms perfectly still throughout the gliding leap still appears doubtful, for all recent animals that do that have never attained true flight. I cannot avoid the impression that a vigorous downward flap of the arms, even before they became efficient wings, would assist in the takeoff for the leap, and that another flap just before landing would check the speed and assist in landing. Unquote. The time of avian evolution was certainly not later than the early Jurassic, for Jurassic birds are recorded in the rocks. In all probability, it was Triassic or even earlier, but the more conservative estimate is safer. See, however, epilogue. Geologic record. Upper Jurassic. Archaeopteryx, the earliest recorded bird, is known from two well-preserved specimens, one headless, now in the British Museum in London, the other which bears a head in Berlin. They are both from the lithographic quarry at Solenhofen, Bavaria, and were contemporaries with Compsognathus, not as we have seen the earliest, but the smallest known dinosaur. Archaeopteryx was about the size of a crow, feathered and with fair powers of flight. There were, however, several characteristics wherein it was more reptile-like than our modern birds. These are the presence of teeth in both jaws, the free clawed fingers of the hand which were not yet fused into the form of the modern wing, the feebly developed sternum, and especially the possession of a long tail on either side of which the rectrices or steering feathers were arranged. In all subsequent birds, the tail is shortened and the feathers are disposed fan-wise. Cretaceous. The Cretaceous chalk Neobrera of Kansas has produced the next recorded avian remains in geologic time. These strata are marine, for besides invertebrates and sharks and other sea fishes, they contain mosasaurs, sea turtles, plesiosaurs, and the fish-eating pterodactyls Nyctosaurus and Pteranodon. The birds belong to two main sorts, both of which were doubtless aquatic, but the larger of them, Hesperonus, was especially so since it had lost the power of flight. The other, Ichnothornis, was a small tern or gull-like bird, well endowed with flying powers and essentially modern, except that, like Hesperonis, its jaws still bore teeth. It is interesting to note, however, that in common with the predentate dinosaurs, except Hypsilophodon, the teeth in both of these genera were confined to the maxillary and dentary bones, the premaxillary, which forms the forward part of the upper jaw, being toothless. Hesperornis was a splendid bird, measuring over four and a half feet in length, with powerful hind limbs, which, while rendering the bird awkward on land, must have been very adequate swimming organs. Also, flight is indicated by the reduction of the shoulder girdle, and especially of the wing, which is represented by a long, slender humerus, the forearm and hand being entirely lacking. The breastbone also is devoid of a keel for muscular attachment, resembling that of an ostrich. On the whole, Hesperornis finds its recent analogy in the loons, or great divers, and except for its flightless condition, may have had quite similar habits of life. Other Cretaceous genera are known, though very imperfectly, but, so far as our knowledge goes, they all agreed in the possession of teeth, although in other respects they were essentially modernized. Two wonderful mounted skeletons of Hesperonis and two of Ichthyornis, the latter unique, are preserved at Yale. Tertiary birds leave but little to the imagination, as they are essentially those of today. It is interesting to note, however, that the loss of flight occurred apparently several times among tertiary forms, for even from the Eocene formation in most parts of the world, numerous big ratites, i.e. cursorial birds, 
are known, which can only have originated from badly flying ground birds, whereas in modern times the ratites are apparently vanishing from the Earth's surface. Nopsha. The birds as a class are a very compact group and do not begin to show the range of size and adaptation of the reptiles as a whole. In fact, in this respect, they hardly rank with the dinosaurs. With them, it is perfection and multiplication of detail, and the most essentially modern among them are the small tree or perching birds of the order Pathirs. End of chapter 31. Recording by Francis Wicks, Canada.